From the time I was small, I would say to people, I'm going to be a millionaire. I would watch TV and I would watch Dynasty. (laughs) And I wanted to be them. I wanted to be on Dynasty so bad. That's what I thought being a millionaire was. And I wanted to be that. Monique Wilson de Brianna was a young girl growing up on the Jersey Shore in the 80s, in an area that was about as far from the dynasty lifestyle as you can get. It's pretty funny when I think back now, because we lived in a small town, um, Neptune, New Jersey, and most of the people in that town, you know, really didn't have a lot of money. A lot of us were poor, but we didn't know it. Monique didn't know she was poor, but she knew she wanted to make it big. I just knew when I grow up, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm David Fisher, and you're listening to Three and a Half Degrees, an original podcast from Facebook. Remember that theory that everyone's connected by just six degrees of separation? Well, today, three and a half degrees is all that stands between you and anyone with an internet connection. In this podcast, we're going to reduce that even further and bring together emerging entrepreneurs and seasoned business leaders. We'll talk about the opportunities and the challenges of our more connected world. My grandmother, Beatrice, she owned her own hair salon, and I would bring my dolls and I would practice braiding their hair, and I would try to mimic what my grandmother was doing. At one point, I did say, I want to be a hairstylist. Monique loved being part of the business. Every day after school, she'd sweep up the hair or straighten the magazines, anything just to hang out in that salon. I actually went to cosmetology school because my grandmother felt like as, you know, generations are changing, you know, things are changing, um, hairstyles are changing and she wanted some new fresh blood in the salon. And so there was talks of me actually taking the salon over. And so I went to cosmetology school. I got licensed. Um, I actually started working in the hair salon on the weekends. But life has a way of interfering with plans. By the time she was 19, Monique was a single mom raising two kids. On top of that, a serious wrist injury now prevented her from working at her grandmother's salon. I wasn't really happy with where my life was. Um, At that point, I ended up having to go on welfare, on on public assistance, and it was the most humiliating experience of my life. I hated every moment of it. I felt like um, people were looking and speaking at me. They weren't speaking to me. And, you know, they really couldn't see who I was. All they saw is this is a young girl with two kids and she's on welfare. Instead of getting closer to her dream, Monique felt it drifting even further away. I hated that feeling because I knew that that's not all that I am. This is just my situation for right now. By then, um, the neighborhood looked very different. You know, gangs had come in, it was started to, you know, the crime had increased and everything. And so I wanted my children uh, to, to be safe and I wanted us to have a way out. That's when she met a guy named Shivala. Our first date was at McDonald's, true right. story. <laughs> Two cheeseburgers and a french fry. Monique was a dreamer searching for direction. Shivala was steady and safe and he fell in love with Monique's energy. What was something 
different about Monique was her was her aura and it was more than just a date more than just a girl to go out with someone that was so open-minded into experiencing new things that I had to say you know what maybe she could be the one together they moved the family to New York City Monique got by with various side hustle jobs like buying and selling things on eBay Shivalo, always the practical one, was a New York City paramedic. It was a safe, stable, dependable job. Until September 11th, 2001. Two hijacked airliners smashed into the... That day changed so much for so many people. And Monique and Shivalo were no exception. We have watched the tragedy of an outrageous act of barbaric terrorism. We heard this radio transmission go over a citywide radio frequency, and it said that there was a fire at the World Trade Center. It took a long time to get there because they had to shut down bridges. There were a lot of people on the road. But as we were driving there, I had my cellular phone, and I was speaking to Monique. And she's telling me that that one of the buildings collapsed and that she needs me to don't go there because it's very dangerous. Shivalo did go, and while he survived, many of his fellow first responders did not. Later on that night when I was able to get a hold of Monique on the phone, and I just heard in her voice the, the trauma that she went through and what she lived through. And if I had any doubt at all that this was the woman for me for the rest of my life, it was it because she showed love. That was true love for me that day. It had a profound effect on them. It reinforced what's important and made them think long and hard about how they'd live the rest of their lives. They got married and moved to Charleston, South Carolina. Once they were settled in, they decided to throw a massive backyard party. They served their guests the same thing they ate on their first date. Hamburgers. I wanted to have a barbecue. And, uh, and, and we invited people to come down from New York. People came from New Jersey. We had a lot of family and friends there. We had almost, I think we had over 100 people come to our home. And we decided we're going to make these awesome burgers. Well, actually, it was Shivala's idea. And we threw together herbs and spices from the farmer's market. We went down and we picked out things that we thought would complement each other. And we kind of threw it together and kind of made like a hodgepodge, a marinade. And we put it in the meat. About 40 minutes into the barbecue, I know we both forgot about it. My mother stops me and she's like, what did you do to these hamburgers? And I kind of ignore her because I think that means they're awful and everyone hates them. So I'd never answered her. And she stops me again. And she kind of like tugged my shirt. She was like, what are you guys doing to these hamburgers? Monique stopped what she was doing and looked around. There was a line at the barbecue 30 people deep. They couldn't get enough. And I just laughed, and I said to Shivala, we should sell these. Monique was energized. It rekindled her dream of being an entrepreneur. Without even trying, they'd stumbled on an exciting opportunity. She didn't know exactly how they were going to turn this thing into a business. But that wasn't going to stop her. I want to just figure out how we're going to make this work. I don't want to think about if it's going to work because I know it will work. Let's just figure out how we're going to get it done. You're listening to Three and a Half Degrees. I'm David Fisher. In order to get it done, Monique and Shivala would have to disrupt one of the largest industries in America, the burger business. If you're old enough like me, 
You might remember McDonald's used to have a sign out front of every restaurant saying how many burgers they'd sold. They stopped updating those in 1994 when they reached 100 billion. The new number, it's over 300 billion, and it's growing by about 75 burgers a second. While Monique and Chevallo were moving their young family from the Jersey Shore to New York City to South Carolina, Chris Kamczynski was on a very different road. Chris was pre-med at Duke University, ready to follow in his father and grandfather's footsteps and become a surgeon. But the singular nature of the medical profession didn't appeal to him. Being a doctor seemed a little narrow. What I thought was sort of my differentiator was I had a good mix of lots of different things. So smart enough uh, and, and uh, with enough of a personality to kind of lead other people. And, and then as I thought about careers where that skill set would maybe be more advantageous, uh, business for me became a place where I thought, you know what, there is sort of a need to have a, a pretty well-rounded skill set. And, and you don't necessarily have to be off the charts in any one dimension. And so I dropped pre-med. And then, you know, from that, I went into uh, economics as my major. And then from that into business. Then Chris got to work. After a stint at Procter & Gamble, he got his MBA and eventually secured a big role at PepsiCo where he headed up brands like Gatorade and Tropicana. Things were going well. I was running the non-carbonated business in the U.S. And I had been doing that job for, for several years. And I had expectations about what the next experience was that I wanted to get what I needed uh, for my own career aspirations. It was a powerful role in a huge multinational company. But even that felt limiting. He was itching for something bigger. I had a pretty senior mentor at the company who had the ability to make it happen. And that was the conversation, which is, I know you can make this happen, but if you're unwilling to make it happen, I have to make this other choice. But the company came back and said, you know what, actually, that's not what we need you to do right now. We need you to kind of stay in place and keep doing what you're doing because of other things. This was not the news he wanted to hear. It got to the point where it, I, it was, you know, if this is what you're asking me to do, then I'm going to have to leave. And they said, well, this is what we're asking you to do. And so I left. It was a risky move, one that took a supreme amount of self-confidence. You have to get comfortable with the risk element of it um, if you really want to, to turbocharge your career, if you take kind of the safe path or the easy path, um, it can be very comfortable and, it, and you can have still a long pr successful career on it, but you're probably sacrificing some things around learning. Where do you go when you've turned your back on one of the biggest brands in the world? If you're Chris Kamzinski, you sign on with an even bigger one. Today, He's president of McDonald's USA, overseeing 14,000 restaurants. Under his leadership, McDonald's has introduced game-changing innovations. Now you can order a Big Mac on your phone or at a digital kiosk in the restaurant. What I was able to bring in was just a fresh perspective from the outside, where I think, especially in an, in an organization like McDonald's that has such a, a proud legacy and, and a long legacy, there was probably still too much of an inward orientation and, and not enough of a recognition of 
how the world outside has has changed. And so I think our, our CEO, Steve Easterbrook, he has a great line, which is the world outside McDonald's moved faster than the world's inside McDonald's. And the second thing he said is, we have to be our own activist. We have to disrupt ourselves or someone else is going to disrupt us. Two of those disruptors were working away in their kitchen in South Carolina. Monique and Chevalo perfected the recipe and started selling their marinated sauce, first at the local farmer's market. Then they spent months on the road pitching at networking events. Their big break came when Walmart and Whole Foods gave them shelf space. Now you can find Charleston gourmet burger sauces pretty much anywhere in the United States. And the growing popularity of niche products like homemade barbecue sauce is making the established players adjust their thinking. That led to uh, really needing to rethink kind of what we offer to the customer. And so we've done a number of things over the past to try to just improve our food, where it's taking out artificial preservatives, it's taking out artificial colors, it's it's sourcing and moving to cage-free eggs and um, on convenience side, now we offer delivery in 7,000 restaurants. McDonald's needed to make major changes to stay relevant and keep customers happy. But messing with an iconic brand, no matter how necessary, is risky. You got to be willing to lose your job to keep your job. And that matters more as you get more senior because you're, the stakes of what you're deciding are bigger. The easy decisions have all gotten made underneath you. The tough ones that... that entail risk because uh, the stakes are higher. And if you're right, it's going to be great. If you're wrong, it's going to be very visible. And, and sometimes the, the right decision is not the easy one to do. Monique and Cheval could have kept selling sauces for the rest of their lives and been very successful. But they still had that bigger goal in mind, disrupting the burger industry. They developed a new product that, on paper, shouldn't work. But it does. A frozen, microwavable cheeseburger. They sell it on QVC. It accounts for half of their $2 million in annual sales. And so many times people come up to Shivalo and I and they ask us, how are you guys doing this? How did you do this? What did I do to turn my life around? They don't realize they already have every tool that they need. And that's believing in yourself. It's the only thing you need. As a casual observer, you might think that burgers are just burgers. What's complicated about that? For Chris Kamzinski and Monique and Chevalo Wilson DiBriano, there's always room for disruption, even in the burger business. Whether you've got 14,000 restaurants to oversee or you're selling frozen patties, there's something to learn. So let's reduce three and a half degrees down to one. <laughs> so I just had been talking about um, for for McDonald's, which has been around for you know sixty some odd years. Uh, the customer expectations seem to be changing. Uh, there's sort of much more interest around experimentation. You know, it's mm. uh, sriracha sauces and hot sauces, and just uh, people are curious about trying new flavors, and and so. You know, a challenge for us as, as a business is how do we keep up with that? And, and there's a tendency that we have of, like, stick with the tried and true, stick with the Big Mac, stick with the Quarter Pounder. And so we struggle with, you know, how, how much do we stay 
sort of wedded to the past versus how much do we try to embrace what the customer's looking for? Well, I will say first thing, keep the Big Mac. Okay. Please. Because we Safe eat yeah. <laughs> several times a week. Yeah. Good. Thank you. I knew I liked you guys. <laughs> well, the thing is, our whole business really started from Monique and I's love for burgers mm. and from when we started really dating. That's yeah. really how our business started. For us, you know, we're we're seeing the same thing. Like we're starting to focus on plant based. That's a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, people, you know, we're we're having a lot of customers write into us and say, you know, I really love your burger, but I'm going to be a vegetarian, but I want to keep using your products because they know our company's philosophy. When we're out and we're in the grocery stores, one thing I say to moms, and I can look them in the eye and say. If my children would not eat this, I promise I will not feed it to yours. Mm-hmm. And we stand behind that. You know, our our kids, it's important for us. So we're very transparent with our ingredients. And we really set out to disrupt this category. Mm-hmm. We really, from the beginning, wanted to come out and come out strong and be different. Mm-hmm. But at yeah. this level, is disruption important? To you, Chris, at this yeah. at this point? Well, it, it, I mean, it is because so we just started uh, in the last year. We now have Uber Eats delivering at seven thousand of our restaurants in the U.S. And I mean, we we've been in delivery in Asia for years. We would have thought in the U.S. and I remember discussions because it, it wasn't that long ago. Oh, people aren't going to want cold fries, and delivery won't work in the U.S. It works in Asia because. The population density is so much greater and most people are living in cities. It's a different model here. But so we got into delivery with Uber and lo and behold, we realized, holy cow, there's a huge demand for it. And so that's changed things. You know, the other thing that we look at it is so right now, 70 percent of our business goes through our drive throughs what happens if there's autonomous cars or semi-autonomous cars? Mm. So... You know, now we're the beneficiary of someone's driving down the street and they see a McDonald's. Oh, I'm going to swing by and go through the drive through there. Yes. Well, what happens if in 10 years you've got self-driving cars, the car's not going to steer itself mm-hmm. into. And so what does that mean for us? And so part of the challenge that we face is because, you know, we've got a lot of restaurants. So it's a big ship to turn, which is do you wait till it's here and then try to move the ship? Or do you start to try to maybe get ahead of it so that you're the beneficiary of being early and you can kind of get it while it's in the beginning? And, yes. you know, it's, it's tough to know. I mean, it, it obviously would be great if you caught it early, provided you were right. You'd hate to steer the ship in a direction and then you realize, oh, actually, we were wrong. So that's, that's our challenge at McDonald's. I could see that because one thing Shivalo and I are always talking about you know, is, is where we're heading. And I look at some companies, I won't say their names, but big companies, and they really felt secure and, you know, where they were. And I don't think they thought, like, some little red box is going to come along and knock us out. Like, right. I would have... N- I wouldn't have thought that. But mm-hmm. you have to realize somebody's always waiting to take your spot. Yeah. Always. Yeah. And you have to be on your toes at all times, and you have to always be looking ahead and trying to reinvent yourself. You have to do that. Yeah, and then we go, that is always a, a challenge. We're like, oh, man, how to reinvent ourselves all yeah. the time. And I uh, see so you talking about Uber Eats. I was wondering that every time we go to, to 
retail and retail meetings with retailers. They're talking about Amazon, the Amazon sure. effect, yeah. you know, yeah. all the time. So the Uber Eats, was that, could you say that kind of was a reaction to the Amazon effect in a way? Amazon, I think, is just redefining what convenience means. So convenience used to be, well, I got 14,000 McDonald's in the U.S., so there's always one close to where I want to go. Well, now Amazon convenience is, I just go on my computer and someone delivers it to my house and I don't have to leave at all. Okay, well, that impacts food because now I don't want to have to drive to McDonald's. I just want them to bring it to me. Wow. So I think that's where, you know, Amazon has changed consumption. But, you know, now when you're working from home and you're maybe not having to commute every day to the office and you don't have a routine every day of maybe stopping by a McDonald's, getting a coffee, getting an Egg McMuffin, and then going to the office, it just, it changes things. So uh, when Amazon bought Whole Foods, um, we then will try to just do some thought experiments about, okay, so now would we care if Amazon started delivering the prepared meals that you can buy at Whole Foods, delivering those to people's homes. Mm. Would that, does that help us? Does that hurt us? And so, you know, we try to just keep an eye as to what's going on out there and and just kind of play the what if of if this were to happen and how do we think that might impact us? What advice can can you give yeah. for a company in our, in our space right yeah. now? Yeah. You know? The retail landscape is changing so much and, you know, they're increasingly they'll want exclusivity or they'll want, okay, I want this, I'll give you this, but I want you to do something for me. And and picking what are the products, who are the retailers that you're going to bet on, what are the parts of the country, because um, the temptation will be just to keep adding things. And that's been one of the things at McDonald's. If you look at our menu today, our menu is complicated. And <laughs> It's complicated because every single one of those things that we added at the time seemed like a good idea. And then you add it and then you add it and then you add it and then you wake up one day and you say, holy cow, we have a lot on our menu. Mm. Um, and each one does add a little bit of sales, but it, it adds complexity. So I think that I would imagine would be um, something you guys would, would – uh, encounter, but I'd love your advice around, especially on menu innovation, because you've clearly come up with some good uh, hot products. What would be your wish list of what, what do you think would be a perfect new menu item that we should be selling at McDonald's? What we hear from the customers is that they would want a turkey burger from us. Okay. So yeah. I'm not sure if I not, don't believe you have a turkey burger. We don't have a turkey, no. Yes. So with with us, we're adding a turkey burger, which we're mm. debuting, marinated. And if I could just put a plug in, it's to die for. The taste is, yep. it is. It is, a, it is amazing. We could say so myself. Juice, most people complain a turkey burger is dry or it's tasteless. Mm. How is it juicy and has so much flavor? So it's fantastic. So we're, we're so happy we're adding that. So we're just going to have really a simple so mm. a cheeseburger. We're going to have a turkey burger and a plant-based burger as we perfect that. Mm. McTurkey coming to you. Monique and Shavala are disruptors. They aren't just trying to be better than their competition. They're trying to be different. And if you want to shake things up, being small and nimble is a major advantage. 
If customers are demanding a frozen turkey burger that you can cook in the microwave, they can turn on a dime to make that happen. Big brands don't necessarily have that luxury. For McDonald's, change comes more slowly. Even something like redesigning their restaurants is an $8 billion project that will take many years to implement. And if they get that wrong, there's no quick fix. Both companies are aware that the way they engage with their customers today is not how they'll do it five years from now. But what we don't know is who'll be better able to predict and prepare for that new customer behavior. It's not necessarily one or the other. In fact, it's likely both. The only certainty is disruption, whether you like it or not. So preparing for it, and ideally driving that disruption yourself, has to be the path forward. Three and a Half Degrees is an original podcast from Facebook. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Three and a Half Degrees, The Power of Connection. That's Three and a Half Degrees, all spelled out. For more information and a look behind the scenes, follow us on Instagram at Three and a Half Degrees. I'm David Fisher. Thanks for listening.